Hey everyone, welcome to We Weren't Friends in High School, the podcast where I talk to former classmates from Wazaken High School in the suburbs of Philadelphia. I'm Brad Corbett, class of 2001. If you haven't yet, make sure you check out episode 245 with Francesco Santo, available everywhere you get podcasts. It was a great discussion in person here in the Italian market. And of course, full video is available at youtube.com slash redshirtplaya. Follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at We Weren't Friends in High School. Listen, like, subscribe, follow, rate the podcast anywhere you're listening to this. It helps others find the podcast, the video on YouTube, etc. This week, my guest is Amanda Andresini, a.k.a. Amanda Christian. Amanda is from the graduating class of 2002, and I've known her since middle school, where we starred in Dreamgirls together. I was James Early. She was Effie. If you only know the movie from several years ago, I was Eddie Murphy and she was Jennifer Hudson. And of course, we're going to talk about that. Amanda and I spent a lot of time in theater together through middle school and high school, as well as chorus. In addition, I was at Amanda's house on the night of senior prom at an anti-prom party that I've talked about a few times. So we're going to talk about all of that on this episode. I'd consider Amanda one of my friends in the sense of talking to each other in school and, of course, being invited to her house, but I never knew much about Amanda's life outside of theater. And she actually didn't know a lot about me. And we're going to talk about all that here on this episode. So let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with Amanda Andresini. Right on time. (laughs) Got it. Technically, I'm three minutes early. I know. Everyone's usually a little bit a little bit behind. Oh, well, I've been getting Google notifications for like the last hour being like, it's coming up. It's coming up. And I was like, all right. 10 minutes, five minutes, go. Pretty much, pretty much, pretty much. How are you? I've been seeing you face to face in so long. I know I've kind of disappeared, <laughs> but I'm good. You were, I, I actually was half tempted to wrap, rep just as much Phillies gear as you are wearing now. Um, Cause half of my wardrobe is still Phillies gear. Um, and I, I'm not sure if I'm happy that you picked a night that they're playing on the West Coast so I can actually still watch them or disappointed that I don't have an excuse to skip the game. <laughs> yeah, it can be painful, right? It's the uh, little give and take. You get a, one parade yes, and then you just suffer for maybe another 20. Yeah, hope not. Knock on wood. They spent the money this year. It's got to turn around at some point, you know? Were you always baseball fan? Did that start? Ooh. Like as a, yeah, as a kid. (laughs) So, I mean, actually, this is a good way to segue into things. Cause like we had Phillies day in 93 at Stony Creek. um, Cause 93 was when they went to the world series. And I can remember my parents let me stay up late and like watch the games and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And my dad was big into baseball. He played like, not really technically almost minor league. He played a lot while he was in the service And so baseball was a way for me to connect to my dad. And then eventually I got into the Eagles because my mom's brother, who was my favorite uncle, when he would visit, we would watch the Eagles games. And my grandparents came over every Sunday and we made like a big to do about the Eagles. So, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Little uh, a familial connection there. Kind of like uh, what was Silver Linings Playbook? Not that crazy. But yeah, like we had this no TV during dinner rule unless the Phillies go on. And then we had this janky old tv from probably like 82 that we literally brought outside and put on our deck on sundays and we'd watch phillies games like on the deck well that's pretty sweet 
Yeah. I remember going, uh, we used to go to the vet as a kid. My mom would get, mm -hmm. um, her job would get tickets from the, from the work insurance company. Yeah. And you get tickets to the skybox and get to go. Uh, but for me, I feel like it was like, yeah, it was definitely the 93 team. And then the mm -hmm. strike happened and I quit on baseball for like <laughs> 12 years. Yeah. We did not. <laughs> <laughs> Those are hard times. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Fortunately I was young and I probably didn't really register as much now watching them suck is excruciating. And I pay for the baseball package cause I'm out of market. And I just remind myself, like, if I'm not enjoying this, I don't have to watch it. But even when I turn it off, I'll put like game day on my phone, just in case like things pick back up. <laughs> I was like, That's I can in any minute. The former attitude you just expressed is how I've pretty much gone about for the last like two or three years. I go, you know what? There's too many other good things to do. I, I'm going to choose not to spend my Thursday night doing this or my Sunday afternoon doing this. It's like, you know, I've had it. If something starts catching on, I'll jump on the bandwagon. I've been good for so long, Amanda. Yeah. I've, you know, like I deserve to go into semi-retirement as a fan. There was an article and I can't remember who wrote it, but on one of the sports sites just talking about like, it's okay to be a bandwagon fan. You are supposed to enjoy sports. Right. And if you're not enjoying sports, don't watch them. Maybe that'll send some sort of message to ownership to get better, to get the fans back. So I don't know. And the benefit of that is that it keeps like two to two to four year old shirts looking still really fresh. <laughs> I have shirts that are from high school still actually that are like my, some yeah. old, old school Phillies gear. I just have a whole drawer of crap. So. Yeah, I've still got a, an old uh, an old uh, Tommy shirt and an old Utley shirt from. Yeah, I've got a Lieberthal shirt. Lieberthal was my boy because he was a Jew. So, <laughs> <laughs> and he was actually for a short period of time a very good catcher. At well, he made a couple All Star teams and yeah. had a fairly consistent batting average. I know there's a lot of hate for Lieberthal out there because he came after Dalton and before Chooch, but you know he was a solid dude. Solid. solid player, that's, a, yeah, that's as good a compliment as he deserves. Well, in the, in what was that, the early 2000s, like just before things got good. I mean, solid was the best you could hope for. Yeah, yeah. They were young budding, and a lot of those guys ended up staying from that squad, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Stony Creek. Yep, Stony Creek. I am so prepared for this call. I've got um, your senior year yearbook, my senior year's yearbook, my eighth grade yearbook, and my Stony Creek fifth grade yearbook. So wow. I am ready to cross-reference anything. <laughs> no no discrepancies coming up in this one. Um, yes, yeah, Stony Creek. So Stony I started Creek. in yeah, I started in kindergarten, went to Wissahickon all 12 years. Uh, what neighborhood were you? Uh, you were in Bluebell, right? I was in Bluebell. So uh, Merritt Drive, it was uh, Office Get Back Pike. In fact, it was seven tenths of a mile from the center square shop, from the intersection of Skip uh, two hundred two and Skip Back Bike, or seventy three. So, yeah, yeah, the old Clover. Yep, Clover, Clemens, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that was a sweet spot. They had the liquor store in the, like on the side of the store. Not back in my day. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Yeah, I, I moved out of the area when I was about nineteen. So okay. a lot has changed since then. I'm actually. Just, I guess this year is my, I've now officially spent half my life in, in Maryland. Wow. Yeah. So, um, I forget. Uh, so you have a brother? I do. My younger brother, Jake, he's in Pittsburgh now, but he went all the way through too. My parents moved when he was a senior in high school. So he spent his senior year living with my cousin, Allie, my uncle, Tim, my aunt, Kate, 
and, and Rachel. So Rachel was class of, I think, a year ahead of you. So I yeah, guess like 2000. 2000. Yeah. And then Jake and Allie were 2004. Okay. Uh, yeah, but most people thought Rachel was my sister. A lot of people thought Jake and Allie were twins. No one ever connected that Jake and I were related. Because that you guys are closer in age. Yeah. Well, and just... We, we actually, like, I had a lot of friends that were in his year, and he had friends that were in my year, but our, like, social circles did not overlap at all. Or we just didn't, we didn't hang out. We yeah. were not. What, uh, so what would you consider would be, like, your social circle? So, you know, it's interesting because you're a grade below. I know you yes. from, like, chorus, yes. musicals, right? Oh, I found, I, I know why you want to talk to me. And I found the quote in the yearbook that references the thing you want to talk about the most. Oh, but, I don't even know what this is. <laughs> I've listened, I, I, I did a little bit of research going into this and every other podcast that I caught on, and maybe it was just a coincidence, but you love talking about dream girls. Oh. <laughs> it, all right. You want to talk, let's talk about dream girls. It, it was just my, it was, I felt like it was um, the show that made me feel like I could be good at performing. It was the one where I felt like it clicked. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I honestly don't remember too much of it. But going back, yes, at least by the end of high school, my friends were the chorus folks, the theater folks. I didn't really realize it until retrospect that like every single thing that's written in these yearbooks is about me singing. So yeah, that that was my group. But yes, your quote re immediately starts with "You're my dream girl." Ooh yeah, you make me happy. <laughs> that's what I wrote in your yearbook. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, that was always the connection because that was a yeah. very, yeah, yeah. That was, and that was my very memorable, you know, I had done musicals sixth and seventh grade. I think I, I don't remember the seventh grade one very well, but you know, sixth grade was Annie and that was somewhat traumatic because I had to wear a bald cap. Right. Um, but then dream girls was like just a lot and it was very intensive and, yes. um, you know, you remember the people that you go through those things with. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's in retrospect, like, I think I was texting you about this when the Kim Clauder episode came out, because I learned a couple things there. But just I looked and I'd never really realized every musical in middle school, I was playing a black character. And I am not I, I am a I'm a upper middle class Jew from the suburbs. Like I am so white. <laughs> I think. And I was like, that is so not appropriate. Now, like that would never fly. And I'm like, Oh, ugh. I remember but, like there were there was a very limited amount of selection for, yeah. you know, for the performing arts in middle school, especially. Um, yeah. I was like the only guy. Maybe there were like two or three. I remember Vince Sadati doing it uh, one year. Uh, Mike Clyburn got in there for Dream Girls. Uh, but a lot of girls had to play guys yeah. in the musicals that we did. Yeah. And like that's a really vocally challenging show. It's like, I mean, I think I heard you reference, like, I blew out my voice, yeah. totally. And I just, well, I also did not know how to control my instrument back then. But like, and there were a lot of people in that show who really couldn't sing. And it was just, a, it was a lot. But. It was a lot of music. It was not very simple. And, and it wasn't very familiar. You know, I, no. this is before uh, the Beyonce, Jamie Foxx Which I, I've never even seen. Like, I, I, and we have a VHS, like, never watched it, never saw the Beyonce thing. I haven't really, really thought about it until I started listening to the podcast because you bring it up a lot. <laughs> it might have been slightly traumatizing for me. I don't know. See, Godspell, I don't know. Were you into, when you did the musicals, were you into the musicals or were you just kind of hopping in? I mean, I know you did chorus. Do you see, I mean, yeah, for those yeah, yeah. of you on the podcast, like, 
I'm sitting in my home office and it's completely decked out in Broadway posters. I am still to my very core an absolute theater geek. Like I went for a run today and I run to show tunes. So yes, <laughs> I was very much into musicals back then. So, yeah. So were you, I don't know, for me, I thought I was like into, I was like working to try and like fine tune mm -hmm. myself to get into show business. Were you just in it because you like musicals? Were you thinking maybe I could go to college and, and do musicals? I mean, you had a great voice. Were you like training? Were you trained outside of school? So I think I probably started taking voice lessons not too long after Dreamgirls because I wrecked my voice for it. And I love to sing. I mean, my dream would have been to be on Broadway and all of that stuff. But my parents made it very clear, like, you want to study theater? We're not paying for college. And it was just very hard. Like you're, you're going to struggle. You, you may or may not make it. And it wasn't that they didn't support me, but just obviously the chances are low. And I wasn't exactly a twig. I'm still not exactly a twig. Like you don't get a lot of size eights in theater. I mean, I guess now you do, but back then you didn't, I, mean, I can dance a little bit, but I didn't study dance. And I ended up on a path that has set me very well for life. So I appreciate it in retrospect, but God, did I hate it back then that I wasn't able to study theater and like pursue my dream. Mm -hmm. Um, what was your history with theater that, that made it so, made it such a passion for you? Was it that your family just exposed you to it at a young age and you yeah, know, we used to, yeah, we used to go to the Valley Forge music fair. I think it was. Same. Yes. Yeah. My mom took me too. Yeah. yeah. That's actually where I first saw my fair lady, which I'm sure we will circle back to that show at some point, but I saw that and, um, Fiddler on the Roof, which I've seen a lot. Um, and I just, I fell in love with theater and then, um, Right behind me that's the king and i that was my first show i ever saw on broadway um and i just you know i listen to show tunes i love the energy of it over here's joseph and the amazing technicolor dreamcoat i've seen that show a bunch it's just musicals have so much joy and so much energy i'm not necessarily into like the sappy or sadder ones but like the upbeat happy ones with like big choral numbers that like just get you going like i love it interesting yeah i remember um i just i remember you know rent was like your jam my senior year and we took the trip to new york to go see it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and i remember like a lot of the girls were like very into rent but you especially were like very in yeah i've seen rent on broadway or on on stage i think nine maybe ten times and i've seen it in pittsburgh philly new york and baltimore I actually was really nice and I, I didn't remember this until like today. I have a full cast signed poster that a couple of my friends That's chipped cool. in for and they got me as a graduation present. Uh, what is your favorite musical? At this point, it's probably Come From Away. Are you familiar with it? I don't know that one. So it came out a couple of years ago and it's actually, they have a live film production on Apple TV plus. I would recommend it to anyone. But the premise is it's about this small town in Canada right after 9-11. 38 planes were redirected there and for a week like 7,000 people flooded these Canadian towns that were just stuck there when the airways were shut down and it's this tight like single act probably about hour and change maybe hour and a half musical and it's very funny the music is wonderful and it really just helps you sort of restore your faith in humanity because it's all true like all the characters are based on real people and if you watch the thing on apple tv plus the end is just a slideshow of like the cast next to the people that their characters were based on and it's just this whole this whole town came together and welcomed everybody and gave them homes and gave them food for a week during some like the worst thing that ever happened to this country 
And it was just this, this huge show of humanity. And it's, it's very, very funny too, because they do a lot of Canadian humor. So I would recommend that show to anyone. I was going to say, you don't like the sappy ones. And I'm like, boy, this one's kind of. Oh, I was expecting it to be super emotional. They had, they had a performance on the Tonys that I saw. I was like, this looks cool. My mom and I were looking for a show to go to. So we got tickets to New York and I was expecting it to be a cry fest. And there's like, obviously it's about 9-11. So there's some, there's some heart wrenching parts, but for the most part, the focus is on how this town just pulled together and, and just took care of people. That's good. Mm -hmm. Um, when you were a kid, obviously it's a little bit, it's a little bit more click free, you know, when you're in elementary school, did you have a uh, friends? What was your, your connection to friends? Was it from your neighborhood? Was it people from school? Yeah, I think it was a couple people from my neighborhood, a couple of people from school. And I really had to dig to remember this. So I think a lot of my friends from elementary school just did not keep the friendships into high school. So I think I hung out with like Michelle Mushlin a lot. Um, Sarah Pantaleo was in my neighborhood. There were two um, people who were younger than me. So Ashley Paulsworth and Kristen Denennis were in my neighborhood. And then somewhere, I, think, I don't know if it was late elementary school or early middle school, the Goos moved across the street. So Jess Goo was my year and her sister, Emily Goo. So the four of us, the two of them, my brother and I, like we hung out a lot. Like we played stickball and wall ball and we were just like always outside and like hanging out. But so you were an active girl. I like being outside and I, I mean, I, I, I'm somewhat athletic. I'm not necessarily always skilled, but just being outside and running around and like playing yeah. like that, that's still like, that's still my favorite thing to do just to be outside on a nice day. That's cool. Yeah. I, I went through waves. I think as, as a kid, like seven, eight, you know, liked it, but as Nintendo kicked in and I got control mm-hmm. of a television, uh, it slowly slipped away. I never got into video games. I used to watch and actually going back to the goose, like, so Jess and my brother, Jake would play like super Mario three or whatever. And Emily and I would just watch and be like, Ooh, like it was entertainment enough to like watch them try to beat the game. But I was never much for playing video games myself. It was a waste of money at at the end. I (laughs) I stopped at Sega. Once I realized you have to keep buying new systems, like they stopped in games for systems. It was like, Oh, I'm out. So I got a Nintendo, a Sega, and then computers we have the original nintendo and i think i got as far as like literally taking the duck hunt game and having the gun like against the screen yes. I, was that <laughs> I was like man not me not for me um when you got to middle school you said like the, the friendships didn't really stick through high school but did you notice a shift i usually feel like in middle school it shifts a little bit yeah so i think most of my friends from middle so my i kind of had the same friend group middle school into early high school and a lot of them were more from bluebell i think so like bluebell elementary oh okay okay. like i got really into hanging out with some of the smarter kids and people who were i don't want i was nerdy myself but like you know the really really smart kids and the, the friends of mine who all pretty much went on to Ivy League schools or got their doctorates or both. So that was kind of my group. I think seventh and eighth grade, because like the pods are sort of separated in sixth grade, but then seventh and eighth started aligning more to actual like- Same hallway. Yeah. And it was just like, you know, classes were more geared, not honors and what have you, but like I was on the fast track for math. So I took, I think algebra in seventh grade, geometry in eighth grade. So I was sort of with with the smart kids, I was in gifted program all through like elementary and middle school too. So I started, I guess the gifted kids were probably who I spent the most time with in I'm middle. 
I'm always curious when, when kids get those opportunities, like there was an enrichment program and, and I never was exposed like the opportunity. Every kid wants to believe they're smart, right? So you see kids get like walk out and go into these other classes and you go, yeah. I, I could do what they do. But do you remember like how you even got introduced to to that world of, of higher tier classes? I don't know. So, I mean, I always heard it had something to do with an IQ test and I poked and prodded my mom Damn for it. years. I'm like, what's my IQ? What's my IQ? And she would never tell me. And she's like, I forgot. So I don't know if that was really it or what, but I remember like we did a lot of puzzles and it was like word puzzles. And it was like, we played a lot of 24 and it was just a lot of like games and quizzes and trivia. And to this day, like that's my favorite stuff in the world. Mm. So I just loved it. And it was always just, I don't know, it, but it was great to get out of class. And like, I basically was like, playing but it wasn't really playing it was that's like smart kids playing yeah. yeah that's what i thought they're like they're playing games and stuff they're having fun and we're just like well if, if your definition of fun is like 24 and like two men walk into a bar one has a glass a cocktail with ice and one has the same drink with no ice one drops dead what happened and like those are the kinds of games we play and we all go around the room and asking questions until we figure out like what happened and then i'd actually take those word puzzles home and then do them with my family at dinner and then my family would have to figure out kind of what happened. Interesting. In that one, by the way, um, the twin with the glass, it has ice. There was poison in the ice. So I see. That's what I was thinking. Died. But I was like, dude, that sounds too murder mystery. I'm like, there's yeah. got to be some some other like mathematical equation to this. No, but it was always like that. I mean, to a, an eight year old, like that's some high level thinking to figure that shit out. I thought you when you were saying 24, I thought you were gonna say like Jack Bauer like kicks down a door No, no, it was like the card game facility. that had the four numbers on it and you had to figure out how to get to 24. So it'd be like an eight and a three and a four and a six, and it'd be like this times this is this, minus this is this, times this is twenty-four. So it was okay. a math game. Huh. Yeah. So you I mean the games you were missing out on were all like school games, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I was a, we were, we used to do flashcards. That was all like yeah. the, I feel like the extent of my like learning, my learning uh, facilities in school. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so what was your, what was your grade like for middle school? Um, uh, some of us have, I always felt like, and a lot of kind of felt like that was kind of the, the years where the sexuality, the partying for groups of kids, at least yeah. like, even if it, like, it wasn't me right at all. But it, like you're seeing around, you're hearing in the halls about, was that your experience of like hearing around? So I lived in some sort of crazy bubble. I mean, I think at some point I remember hearing in seventh grade, like, oh, there's a party, like a girl who I did not stay friends with for much longer, but she was having a party where they might play seven minutes in heaven. But literally I made it all the way through high school, never invited to a party and never any of this. But at the same token, I didn't actually think they existed. I thought that like all that stuff was just made up for the movies and like just totally exaggerating the high school experience. Like I didn't think anybody partied. I didn't think anybody drank. I was like that siloed from it that I just had no idea what was going on. And I remember it was like homeroom senior year, very end. I heard a couple people talking about a graduation party and being drunk. And I was like, what? Like I was just that disconnected from, I was blissfully unaware. So I know I've heard you talk like people wanted to be invited to parties and wanted to be cool. I literally did not think those things were actually even happening. That's wild. Yeah. So what was your opinion of like the, the social structure then within your, like your grade or what you saw with even like other classes? Did you ever look at people as like the cool kids, the nerds, the whatever, you know, you said you were, you know, chorus music, you hung with the smart kids. How deep did that go for you? 
Yeah. So I think, and I don't, I don't know. I kind of wonder, cause like, obviously there were the cool kids, but I was in almost exclusively honors classes and all of that. So I was with the same group of people who always basically the ones who had the academics first or what have you. So I didn't get a lot of exposure to that other stuff. And so, I mean, I knew there were cool kids over there and I knew like there's your homecoming queen and like your prom couples and stuff, but really I didn't, I was not exposed to a lot of it. And obviously I had my own issues about myself and I don't think I liked myself very much back then, but I don't think it was so much like external pressures. I think it was a lot of it was internal pressures. It, it, looking back on it, like listening to some of the other conversations you've had, I was like, my high school experience was so different. <laughs> Um, she hates when I, when I bring up her name, but I'll say, I believe like Jess Lauer said the exact same thing that like, she was not aware that stuff like this was going on. Well, that doesn't surprise me because one of the people I hung out the most with my junior year was Jess Lauer. It was my, like, that's when I really started getting more into the choral group. So like junior year, it was like, I hung out with Jess Lauer, Kim Clotter, Jess Kessler, who was class of 2004 and a girl named Kat, who I'd have to go digging to find her last name. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. She was only there for like a year or two. And I think she was gone by my senior year. But like the five of us hung out. Jess Lauer, she and I were super altos together. Like we sat chorus class together and we sat next to each other and we hung out. So it's I guess it's nice to know someone else saw the world the same way I did. Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty interesting that you don't you didn't recognize. I'm curious what you were doing then. Like when you're hanging out, you know, in school and in comparison, what did you think other people were doing? Did you not even care? I don't, I don't know if I don't, I won't go so far as I don't care, but I think I was just very much in my own world that my experience had to be everybody else's experience. So I never like mm. thought about it too much. I didn't, it's not like, I don't care what they're doing. It just never crossed my mind that what they were doing was going to be different than what I was doing. Like I hung out with friends and like we'd watch movies and like we'd have snacks and stuff, but it was never like, I remember, I think I had like, and when I was 15, I had like a, a camp after party thing for the counselors and like I had half a Miller Lite and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and then it, I don't remember whose graduation party it was, but someone slipped me like a smearing off ice and I had half of that. And I was like, oh my God. But I mean, it just never crossed my mind. I never knew what I was missing. And I'm probably better off that way because I probably would have felt wildly insecure, and woefully like just out of it if I had known. Yeah. So did you ever have, um, well, you said, did you ever have like, um, moments of wanting to hang out with certain people and feeling like you couldn't, or feeling like you're, even if it wasn't a party, like feeling like you're excluded. I'm curious, like you say you're in a bubble, but I feel like, um, I think for me at times I felt like it was like a, a an active exclusion, um, yeah. you know, that, that starts that, that kind of fear. Not really. It's like, I, I guess I was, I lived a charmed life or what have you. Like everybody was nice to me, like, and I was nice to everybody, but it's like, I was an afterthought. And there were a couple things I can think of. Cause I, I hated doing, like, I hated walking into rooms where everybody knew each other and I didn't know anyone. And for whatever reason, this memory sticks my mind. So when I was getting ready for my bat mitzvah, what we had to do at Beth Orr was we had to go to other people's services. You had to go to a certain number of services and like do hours for what have you. And, um, excuse me, I went to services one morning. I think his name was Dave Kaplan, mm -hmm. my year, dark curly hair, super Jewy, obviously, as he was getting bar mitzvah at Beth Orr. Can you say that? <laughs> what, can, I can say that. You, you can, can say, say that. that. I can say, yeah, okay. I, yeah, we can say that. But I remember, um, going to services that morning and it was his bar mitzvah. 
And I felt so weird being there because it was actual other friends from our class and other people that he actually invited. And I was just there to like creep in and stuck and had to be at services. And I feel like he said something to me at some point. And I was like, I'm sorry, I was, I just had to be there. And I was like this whole thing that I felt like I shouldn't have been there. And there are a lot of the situations that I know I sometimes struggle with. Like, I feel like I shouldn't be somewhere when I'm there, but I don't think there were a lot of like, I wish I was there. I wish I could get in there. So. And that was just strictly off of like status, not because like, like I've mentioned like that kind of feeling when I was younger, but it, it yeah. had to do with more of like proving my Judaism or like thinking that like they're like, they're going to wonder what the hell's the black kid doing. Uh, here. Yeah, pretty much. And I, I think I expressed my apologies to you, but I will do it again. I didn't bring it up for that. <laughs> looking, no, I mean, you should. I mean, looking back, like I never believed you were Jewish because in my stupid, narrow mind, I'm like, there's no such thing as black Jews, except for the ones in Ethiopia. Like it's just biracial wasn't a thing that my brain computed. And I do feel bad about that. So my apologies again, because the tribe welcomes all, including those who actually belong in the tribe. So, yeah. Apology accepted. But that's why I always say it was it was hard being biracial because there weren't a lot of, you know, it, it turns out, you know, Eric Coxon was is is Jewish and biracial and we were in the same class, but we had no relationship. So I never I never had that communication with him to even know about yeah. his world or his life. Um, so, and, and outside of that, there weren't a lot of like biracial people. It was like, I always say again, it was me and Lenny Kravitz and Mariah Carey's biracial, but not Jewish. No. So if I remember correctly from other episodes, you didn't go to like Hebrew school, Sunday school, you weren't bar mitzvah. Now, now if you had been like, if I had seen you around Beth or I think I might have swallowed it a little bit easier. But when yeah. I was younger, we used to go to Beth or, mm. and then we stopped when they started charging for high holidays. Oh yeah. Yeah. Those aren't cheap. Yeah. So then we stopped going and my mom gave me the option. My parents both, they gave me the option. They said, um, do you want to go get your bar mitzvah, your bar mitzvah? Or do you want to go to modeling school? Oh, yeah. And I was like, I think I want to like act and model yeah. and let's try that. And I was like eight or nine or something like that. And, and so that's what I did. And that's how I spent my weekends. Awesome. Yeah. We, um, so where my neighborhood is actually like literally across the street from Tiffert Bed Israel, which is the conservative synagogue there. But we originally looked into that because obviously it was right there. But at that time that rabbi didn't approve of mixed marriages and as probably most people can guess by my name, my father was not Jewish. So the thought of having like an Amanda Christian at a conservative synagogue where the rabbi didn't approve of that, it was like no go. Because my mom was raised conservative, like her father was like kept kosher and all that stuff. So like every generation, we tend to get a little less stringent just because the world doesn't necessarily, you know, embrace change. Some of it does. Reform Judaism kind of does, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, what was your connection then with with other Jewish kids in school? I, I've always lamented that no one ever invited me to their bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah. Non-Jews would get invited to these things yeah. and just hear about them. I was like, how did I not make this? But again, I, I tied it to my social standings. Were you yeah. invited to other kids' bar, mitzvah, bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs? Did you invite yeah. kids from Wissahickon to yours? So I did, yeah. And I think it was mostly my year. That got invited. So um, I think so. Rachel Beaulieu, now Rachel Goldsmith, was one of my closer friends in like middle school, and she yeah. was Jewish too. Um, I think I must have gone to her bat mitzvah. And then my best friend Steph, she actually went to North Penn. 
um, we met, but we became friends in between our bat mitzvahs. So she wasn't at mine, but I went to hers, but I didn't have a ton of Jewish friends. Um, so I didn't go to that many bar bat mitzvahs. And I think I had like one or two family ones, but not, not that many. So part of what you missed out on probably was there just weren't that many Jews becoming adults in the eyes of, uh, the faith. So was the, the bulk of your Jewish experience just through your family? Yeah. So my mom's family is small. I like to used to joke that like my mom's maiden name's Tanitsky. So that that's where you get the Jew from. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I got grew up, I went to Bethor, I think starting in about third grade. Um, my grandparents, Renee and Aaron Tanitsky are like stereotypes to the, to the max, like my grandmother snowbirds in Florida every year still. And so I, I got it through that. And I think, I mean, like a lot of people, at this point, I'm definitely more culturally Jewish than religiously Jewish. Um, part of that is, you know, my family. Part of that is just moving out of the area. I hadn't really found a synagogue that I I stuck with. So, mm. you know, but I mean, Judaism is a big part of me and it still is. It's kind of how I rate, was raised. It gives you a backbone, not just, you know, in the religious beliefs, but how to be a human being. And, and there's a lot that I credit to that and just the way that we were raised to just look at the world. And, you know, we were once in this place. So now it's our job to protect people who are in the similar places, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, did you have a favorite subject in school? Probably English. I mean, that's what I majored in in college. I love to write. Um, and I'd say even the backbone of what I do for work is just related to communication and writing. I love Mrs. Fimiano. She was the gifted English teacher in high school. So I had her, I think, for three years. And then she was like, get out of my class and go take AP English. So then I took AP. You had the same English teacher for three years in a row? That seems so unnatural for high school. It's so it's because it was gifted English. So when you got to high school and you, if you're only one, only one teacher is gifted enough to teach. Yeah. Well, so, so the way it was too, and it was like, it was ninth and 10th together and then 11th and 12th together. So, so it wasn't, so yeah, the curriculum like rotated and we were sort of in the opposite curriculum than the rest of uh, our year. So I think I've heard other people talk about like the trip to go see Les Mis and everybody studied Les Mis. Well, we studied Les Mis either the year before or the year after, because we were out of sync with the rest of our grade. Cause we were with whatever the ninth graders were or the 10th graders were at that time. Oh. Yeah. So it was kind of a dual thing. They, yeah. Uh, were you a big reader then growing up? I love to read. I still love to read. Like I would stay up in the middle of the night, like reading fear street books, which let me recommend don't do when you're easily scared as like a teenager, like staying up late to read about terrible high school murders is really not the way to go. Uh, but yeah, I still like, to me, the best thing is to go on vacation with a couple of books and just read a book a day. It's like the best way to relax. Wow. A book a day. Well, we're talking about like a page turner, like 300 pages kind of deal. And you know, Listen, Amanda, for someone like me, <laughs> may a book, if I get a, if I get a book a summer, that's yeah. like a pat on the back. Hey, I finished this thing on yeah, the beach. No, I love it. It's it's just to me like just getting taken away and just getting absorbed into it and just well, it's not really turning the page. I'm, I've got my Kindle, but you know, love it. It adapts, yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier that you said you you think you didn't like yourself. Oh yeah, God, no, I hated myself. What do you mean? Because you said that you were kind of like when you mentioned that you're in your bubble. Um, mm -hmm. I take that to mean that you, you enjoy, you're enjoying the world that you're kind of living in. 
Um, so, I mean, I was slightly overweight. I had bad skin. Boys didn't like me. And I had like a kind of weird relationship with my dad and my brother too. And I just never really ever got to feel good about myself. And it's funny because I look back at pictures. I'm like, it wasn't that fat. It wasn't that ugly, but it was like really a lot of internalized negative messaging and uh, your typical theater kid, you know, just desperate for attention, desperate for validation. And I, I think I saw a lot of that, probably not as obnoxiously as I did later years, but I just was not, I just didn't like myself, you know? Um, you said internal, does that start from anything? You know, I'm not a, I'm not a girl, so I don't know yeah, necessarily. Yeah. I can guess about the pressures of a girl, but is that, is it in tune with things like that? Magazines, TV shows? Yeah. It's whatever? just like, I never got to be like one of the skinny hot girls. And my dad would tell me things like, you think you're getting a little fat, which did not help. And he thought he was being helpful, but he was not. And just like, you know, especially back then you didn't see anybody who wasn't perfect you know a lot of the media representation of teenagers and kids are like the perfect pretty great everything you didn't see anyone who's like just a little off and I didn't get a lot of attention from guys and I just beat myself up a lot and then if I wasn't super successful I beat myself up as far as like actually the singing stuff is really where I never sometimes did not feel good enough either just kind of nuts um so I'm assuming you didn't date in high school I didn't really date. No, I didn't really. Technically, my first boyfriend, real boyfriend, someone who said, like, will you be my girlfriend is my now husband. And we only started dating like five years ago. So wow. <laughs> I had a lot of like relationship ish situations. But as far as like a really solid, mutual, respectful, healthy something. Yeah, not not much of that in my life. Um, you know, I I was at your house once we we hung out, which it mm -hmm. violates part of you know violates kind i was of gonna say of, i was like of, we were definitely friends in high school Brad. yeah so i hung out with you my prom night ended up uh -huh. with, hanging out with, at your house um i think with john diaz john diaz was there it was like an anti-prom party yeah so you're like my friends who weren't going to prom and that that actually that whole night well not that but the circumstances leading up to that like changed a lot of my social friendships and really pushed me more into the the theater kids and like the choir nerds so I used to be really good friends with Rachel Boulieu. Like she and I had known each other since we were like six. We both went to Bluebell School of Dance together. We oh. took ballet together when we were like teeny tiny little things. And our moms were super friends. And then we were best friends all through middle school. And then like, again, did not date, didn't get asked to dances, didn't get a lot of attention. And like I went to the semi that year with my friend Anoop. Um, and then leading up to the prom, Rachel and I decided we're not going to get, we're not going to go to prom. We're not going to think about it. Like we're just going to have our own thing and be friends. Well then come a couple of weeks later, Rachel asked a noob to prom. And she was like, I didn't think we were really serious. And I think I like cursed her out in the middle of the, the hallway be like, fuck you or something dumb and like stupid high school. And that like that ruined our friendship. And I found out later, like, our moms were planning a joint trip where both of our families were going to go away. And like, she and I have stayed in touch. I went to her wedding when she got married, but we never really got back to being like good friends again. So that, that night, I think we had like pizza and hung out in my basement. Mm -hmm. And I was just like a bunch of random folks, probably mostly like choir nerds. Yeah. Sang rent <laughs> songs. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, wow. That's incredible. So that's, you know, a month before graduation. Well, or, no, that's you, a month that before eleventh, right? A month before yeah, uh, the end of eleventh grade. Yeah. Uh, does that continue through? You never. Is it 
do you get over the awkwardness in junior in senior year to eventually repair that a little bit or yeah i mean we were on good terms but like i i and in general like i don't think i've talked to anyone from wissahickon who isn't related to me by blood for like 15 years like i just i did not keep in touch with anyone in wissahickon i think part of that too is like i had my middle school group and then my middle school group kind of fanned out in, college, in in high school. And then like I had some chorus friends, but I never really felt like they were deep, true friendships. And that's not like to knock anybody. They were all great people. But it was almost like those situations where, you know how you have work friends that when you work together, you're friends, you go out to happy hour, you have a lot in common. And then when work goes away, like you never talk to that person again. So I feel like I had a lot of really good, like surface level friendships, but just nothing that really felt like, I didn't feel like I fit anywhere with different groups. I had a couple groups that I put, like I floated around to, mm. but I never really felt like this is my people. This is my crew. Um, that's interesting being that, you know, I, I felt like the, the core, I mean, you know, I get though, you saying that wasn't like very deep, um, yeah. because you know, a lot of the, I felt like a lot of the chorus guys, girls were, were all friends hanging out, yeah. the musical crew, all that yeah. it seemed like a very tight crew, but it was a larger crew, I guess. Yeah. Um, in varying degrees. And I, outside of like you, John Diaz, uh, Jess, um, that was a, probably about it of like people that I hung out with yeah. outside of school in any, you know, fashion. I hung out with like Emily Fellin a lot senior year. Um, Matt Pashes, who was class of 2004, he and I were close. Like I had these really good people and they all tried to keep in touch with me. I just suck. <laughs> like, um, like Emily Lowe was a friend that I was someone I was friends with, like middle school through high school. She used to like write me letters and send me cards on my birthday. I suck. Like Isla Pamukchu was someone I was friends with, like middle school through high school. She still sends me a happy birthday email every year. I suck. Like, I'm just not good at keeping touch with people back in high school. Did you feel, and this could be digging too deep, but- No, did, go for it. That's what these are for, right? Yeah, I'm just curious, <laughs> only because of of my experience with losing a friend, do you think yeah. that your split with Rachel changed the way that, that you kept friendships after that? You know, I think it wasn't quite that, but I just never rebuilt a strong friendship after that. So, you know, and, and again, Rachel's great. And I think I was already kind of, coming out of that friend group as it was. And that was just sort of like the, the dividing line. Because again, my friends were really smart and they were really focused on academics for the most part. And that just wasn't the path that I was going down. Like I'm smart enough. I can like skate by not doing much and get A's and B's, but I wasn't going on like the Ivy League track. Where like Rachel, I think has a doctorate and a PhD or like a wow. master's. Like she's, she's super educated and like a lot of them are. Um, but I think after that, I just, there wasn't the time to build back up a friendship. Like I mentioned my friend, Steph from North Penn, she and I met in the seventh grade. She was my bride. She was my maid of honor on my wedding last summer. So it's like, mm. it's that time. And even as an adult moving out of the area, finding new people, like I don't have a lot of close friends. And I look back at the ones that I do. I'm like, Oh, I've been friends with her for eight years now. So I just don't think there was enough time to form that. And then like mm. jump forward to college where you're like living with people and you're like forced to have these quick, fast relationships. I just, I had people that I hung out with, people I did things with. I was never bored. I was never lonely, but it was never like the kind of people I would tell my secrets to and like trust my uh, life with and like, you know, hold on to for the next decade and a half. What did you, what, what did you think you were doing the academic? You said that, you know, you weren't going to go to Ivy League school, um, but you're taking these classes and you're told, you know, to get into AP English. But mm -hmm. I always assume that's like for, at least later on, once I got better understanding that you're 
preparing to use that for college type stuff. You weren't you academically, despite your your arts, your arts passion, mm -hmm. there was no I mean, you're an English mate and you you love English, you love reading, mm -hmm. but you didn't look at yourself as like good enough to do academic to go a strong academic route, or were you not interested in that? I think I wasn't interested. Like, and it was great. Like I took, I think I had 12 AP credits going into college. So I got to slack off when I got to school because <laughs> I basically had like three quarters of a semester taken care of. So like, so I'm, like, I'm going to take an exercise class this semester instead of like a full load. I like learning. I really like being in class. I like, and to this day, like, if you're like, you want to go to class tomorrow? I'm like, absolutely. What's the subject? That's cool. Can I watch a YouTube video on like the history of like the Middle East? Cool. But hmm. papers, homework, like I'll, and like tests and stuff. I was like, I'll do the bare minimum to get them done. Like I didn't like investing in school outside of school. And I was just like, I'm smart enough to do whatever. Like, I'm not going to be a doctor. I have had people be like, I'm really surprised you didn't end up being a lawyer because of all the performance. And I did love to argue. I was on the debate team for a couple of years. I'm like, that seemed like too much work. <laughs> like, uh, even now it's like, do you want to go back and get your master's? I'm like, that seems like a lot of work. That's interesting. So what did you want to do as, as you're getting through those later years of, of high school? What do you think? I mean, I know you said you liked English, but you didn't know at all. Had no clue. I had no idea. I never had any idea. Like to this day, I still don't like know what I want to do when I grow up. Like I've been a recruiter in my last two jobs, and I kind of fell into it. I'm good at it, and it's lucrative, so I probably am going to stick with it. Um, but I never like had an idea of like this is what I want to do. I'm so excited. I'm very passionate about this. Like this is my path. My path just kind of found me. Did you want to go to a specific college? What was your college search like? I um I basically just applied to Pitt because it was the farthest away that had in-state tuitions. So I paid off my student loans last year. <laughs> they gave me a little bit of scholarship money, like not a lot, but in retrospect, a couple thousand bucks a semester does make a difference. Mm. And it was just get away, go learn about this world that apparently exists that I thought was only in movies. You know, I went to a big school that had a football team and you know, clubs and sororities and and everything. So, uh, why did you, why did, was the being far away a requirement? Just the typical uh, college I didn't have a great relationship with my dad at that point. And I, again, didn't like myself very much. So I just wanted to get out and just like be different and be away and just, yeah, yeah just, just be away. Uh, I don't know a better way to describe it. Sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> Um, was there any pushback from your family to, no. to go further? Or they were like, cool, go ahead. I mean, no, Pitt was like six hours away. It was in-state tuition. Like, I mean, it wasn't impossible. And then they eventually moved down to Maryland, which then became more like four hours away. Um, so it wasn't like impossibly far. You didn't have to, well, actually the first time we went, we flew, which was only like a couple of weeks after 9-11, mm. which was kind of nuts. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was, it's not hard to get to pit it just takes a little time to travel out there so sure. no pushback at all uh i didn't you know I, I left in after 2001 so i don't know how your musical career ended up um i've talked about how mine finished yeah. up with with my fair lady and you know furthermore other outside of kim i don't think i've talked to anyone who um was in my fair lady um jp i just listened oh, to that jp i'm sorry yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry jp wasn't uh what was your experience i guess uh, that time, Mrs. Reckner, the, it's, you know, the kind of, I guess, apparent balance of Reckner Conahan. Uh, I'm going to guess you were in a bubble on that as well. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. And, sort and of, I guess. What was your My Fair Lady experience? 
as so, I was falling apart from my life. <laughs> Mine wasn't as bad as yours, but it also, I wouldn't say was ideal either. So I kind of came in they like, you know, you know, you love Godspell as an eighth grader. I saw Godspell and I was like, Oh my God, look what, look what's coming. I'm so excited. And, and then I think at some point, like Reckner, I think I had her for chorus, maybe freshman and sophomore year, but she didn't know me all that well. And then she went out on maternity leave and so there was like, then Conahan came in. So it was kind of like my year. She didn't know us. And like, we basically knew Conahan. And for my fairy lady, I mean, normally in the progression of things, like when you're a junior, like that's when you get the supporting roles. That's when you get like the, not the star, but like you get a song or two in there. And that's what I was really hoping for. And for my fairy lady, I was just cast in the chorus and that sucked. And obviously there's only like three women and it was worse for like Steph and for Kim and for anybody else stuck in there. But then throughout the course of it, it became obvious, I guess, to, to Rackner that I was good. So I went from being in regular chorus to them being in the small group chorus that we'd say like the poor Professor Higgins and all that crap. And then anytime there was a line, like I just started getting dialogue. I'm like, Amanda, you say that one. Amanda, you do that one. So I had like bits and pieces. It was more than I had ever had before, but I was really hoping for like a, like a star turn. So it wasn't my senior year. And like my heart went out to Kim with all of that. Cause I know how much she struggled and actually, so I know she told a little bit of the story that she was going through some medical stuff. So she missed the performance that we did for the sixth graders. And I actually filled in for her as like the maid part. And I'm like, Oh, I don't even know what I'm doing. So I got like a couple extra lines and a, a costume thing for that, but it was, it was disappointing, but probably not as disappointing as it was for you guys. <laughs> Yeah. Um, what was your, what was your experience going from the middle school to the high school? For me, it was big fish, small pond. You mentioned junior year. You're expecting to get these, these bits. Yeah. I was lucky hoping. enough. I wouldn't say expecting, uh, Lina, but uh, yeah. You, you hoping expected, for the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it's not like I was auditioning for Eliza. I had known Reckner since sixth grade, right? She was our mm-hmm. course teacher prior to her, her various maternity leaves, yep. uh, throughout our, our high school career and middle school career. Um, so I knew her, she knew me, I had a loud voice. I think she thought I had a good voice. Um, so that was like a, a lot of like, Hey, I thought I was one of your, I thought I was one of yeah. your guys, you know? Um, but you know, going from being one of Mrs. Watson Bay's guys in eighth grade, being yeah. her guy, the guy yeah. to then going to like being my, one of my course teachers guys. And there's a lot more guys in the high school musicals yeah. than there were in the middle school. Um, uh, I definitely was like paddling a little bit to try and get noticed. What was your jump going from, you know, you had done Dream Girls and then you had done Little Shop of Horrors, yeah. uh, going from that to You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, which is a, such a sweet show. And I have a very specific memory of you in You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, which I could tell in a minute. But um, no, I mean, it was, I remember hearing like, if you're really good or you're really bad, like they will tell the high school musicals. And there was no connection uh, from one to another, like no discussion, no nothing. And I think I had already kind of had that let down because in seventh grade, we did Dream Girls. I was Effie, so I was the lead. And then eighth grade, I really wanted to play Audrey in Little Shop of Horrors. And I wasn't. I was cast as one of the, the doo-wop girls. So that was already sort of a letdown for me. Like I, like I peaked last year. And then You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, obviously coming down from Godspell was quite a, a letdown because Godspell was like such an ensemble and everybody had lines and songs and it was just such, everybody could participate in Godspell. And Mara, 
I remember your good man, Charlie Brown. I was only one of like three or five freshmen who even got cast. Mm. And like the way that was just set up, I think it was like four or five chorus numbers and there just wasn't that much involvement to it. So, I mean, I, I also thoroughly believe in like, earning your way up. Like I wasn't expecting much as a freshman. I sure. probably wasn't expecting like Godspell and like Pippin was before that. And I love Damn Yankees is one of my favorite shows because a musical about baseball, of course. But then like You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, it was cute. And yeah. I, I love, like, I love that show. I've seen it on Broadway. Um, but it was a bit of a letdown just from Godspell actually more so than, than from middle school. Yeah. Um, I wear the shirt all the time, but boy, I am like <laughs> that, that, you know, kind of killed it for me. Um, yeah. the selection process. It's funny how like, you know, the selection of the musical can kind of just kind of kill the passion. And well, there um, were very strange shows for a high school. Cause like they weren't exciting for teenagers. Like, right. Like again, Godspell, Pippin, like those are cool. Like Stephen Schwartz, like seventies musicals. Like there are a lot of shows that I think would have been more appealing to a general audience. Like, I don't know where the hell Mame came from. Like, thank you, thank you. I'm sorry, Jill Cavanaugh. Like, one she day was great, I, she and was and and Kim was amazing as Vera. Like, that was my dream. I wanted, well, I wanted to be the next Kim, but yeah, it just yeah. But I, I do want to circle back. So, you're a good man, Charlie Brown. When they were choreographing Happiness, the final number, I was sick for the first half of it, and for whatever reason, you were not there either. So for the beginning of happiness, you and I were backstage together and we were waiting for our entrance. So like we came in at a certain point in the middle of the song. And I just remember that you and I were chilling backstage until our entrance for that. So that is my Brad. See, you know, for me, when I'm doing musical or when I'm watching musicals now, um, and I'm not very like, I I don't dive into a lot of, a lot of shows anymore. Um, my girlfriend loves them. So she's trying to get me back into participating and not that hard. Yeah, I know. Um, but one of the things that I, or I think the most thing that I'm like draws that draws me to theater is the camaraderie mm-hmm. between with the cast, the respect to the crew. Um, I just love, and you can, you know, I loved just seeing people kind of like, you know, you know, that they're doing the same thing over and over every single day. And they're like looking at each other and you can, you, I like to believe you can like see magic in their eyes of like, here's this part. You know what I mean? Like I just, I just kind of I I was very drawn to the 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 friendship or or the relationships that you have the bond of going through this thing with with all yeah. these other people like that backstage you know getting ready to come on for something especially when it comes to hell week and you've been working on this and you're spending late nights and there's really something I mean I think both you and I have talked about this about being a part of something being a part of a whole that creates this amazing piece of art or entertainment or what have you like I love big chorus numbers because like that person singing one part that person singing another part and like you really just feel like you're all working together towards a common goal and that goal is awesome so yeah it's, uh was the next year Les Mis no so Les Mis was this I think the year after me so we did okay. the Mikado my senior year so that was a Gilbert and Sullivan musical that, that took place in uh, like feudal Japan Another year that I was playing someone of a different race, although technically like we were all supposed to be Japanese. Okay. Um, I did get the villain part. So I had this big entrance at the, the finale of act one was like a 13 minute musical number. And I come in at like minutes six and I just like belt and I dyed my hair black. I was in a kimono and full makeup and 
I also blew out my voice again for that one. <laughs> but, and then I, and I had a couple of big numbers in the second act, but I was like, it was a very strange story. I don't know how much you know about Gilbert and Sullivan, None. but they tend to be a bit convoluted. So there's like a love quadrangle going on. So Mark Pinchotti was the other lead. He played, um, God, I forget the name of the character. They're all crazy. Like I was Catashaw, which wasn't that bad, but it was like, oh, I think he was Nanky Poo. And there was like, um, they all, they're really weird, fake Japanese things. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. And so like Mark's character is in love with um, Lauren Popoli's character. She played the, the female lead. And then Lauren Popoli's character is in love with Rob Caligari's character. And then, but yeah, yeah. And then, but um, Rob Caligari's character is engaged to my character who was supposed to be old and ugly, which did not help with my self-esteem. But the way the the machinations and convoluted at the end of the day, Mark and my character end up together and Rob and Lauren's character end up together and it's happy ending. Uh, So how's that shift going from Reckner to that was the Conahan show, right? That was the first full out Conahan show. So and you it was get the different. senior appropriate role. Yes and no. So I'll, I'll tell you, I was devastated that the main character was a soprano because that was not me. I was like super alto back in the day. And I don't think I knew going into it how fun my part would be because like it's a, an allusion to rent, honestly, like more when Maureen shows up at the, the end of the second act or the end of the first act, and she makes her big thing and she's fun. Like that's what I ended up doing. And I had some cool songs and it was really fun but I, I was initially disappointed that I got the supporting role and not the star star role. So, yeah. No thought of ever doing it in college. No. Cause I went to Pitt, So I didn't really know what their thick, their theater program, like they weren't doing straight musicals and it, you know, I, I, I sang acapella in college. So that's, that's okay. where I did that. So I joined an acapella group. So I sang all four years. So it was not theater and I've done a couple different acapella groups. And then I've gone back to a theater group and I was like, man, I love theater. Like theater was like acapella was just a band aid. Mm. Did you do anything else? Uh, I mean, you played softball. Um, mm-hmm. Any other? <laughs> you mentioned debate team. Yeah. I didn't so you aren't. So you, you is that because you you just low self esteem for softball and you're being modest or were you no really bad? no no no. Well, I mean, so I was good at softball growing up. I was good at like slow pitch underhand softball, but around the turn to like fast pitch. Like I just, and I was a pitcher and I was not a good pitcher and like my softball skills like declined. And I'm also, I'm very, very in my head, like a lot of internal monologuing, like all of that. And softball is a slow game, like with all the breaks and you get too much in your head and you overthink everything. And then you just snowball worse and worse and worse. So I played for two years and I played for a year in middle school, but just in general, like I am just so much more of a rec league sport person like I've played in a lot of adult rec leagues it's fun to have one night in a week and like you're out there with your buddies and you're drinking and like nothing matters but the five to six days a week of practice and like the hardcore games and like that just it didn't work for me and I was also getting progressively worse at it. so it wasn't like yeah I felt like I was constantly letting everybody down um letting everyone down on the team yes because oh. I was that bad of a pitcher yes oh. <laughs> I was I was I promise you uh, did you do it all the way through though? No, I, I just, just freshman and sophomore year. And then sophomore year, I was talked into doing indoor guard for a year. 
So then I kind of negotiated like doing indoor guard and then not softball. And then I just got way too into like chorus and musical stuff. So I had like an excuse to not play softball anymore. What is indoor guard? So it's color guard. So you know how the marching band has like the people with the flags. Mm-hmm. So in the winter, they do that. And um, it's it's an indoor performance to like, you know, taped music. We actually did a performance to uh, Smooth by Rob Thomas. Oh, and yeah, you've yeah. got flags and the rifles and the... Um, whatever the swords are called. Yeah. Amanda Stagno, I think it was, she was the year before you, she was in my neighborhood too. So she and I hung out a lot earlier in my high school career. Um, She talked me into it. And I think like Adam and Mark Gregor or Adam and Mark, (laughs) and Matt Gregor um, were involved. And so like, actually when you had that episode with JP Meyer and he's talking about all the band people and I was like, I'm naming color guard people like right along with it. Cause it was like Kim Twist, Kim Citrone, like all those folks. I'm like, I haven't heard those names in forever. Yeah. So yeah. So one, one year of color guard. And then I was done with anything that pretty much wasn't musicals, uh, debate, or I, uh, I was involved with aura as well. So the lit mag. Yeah. I was gonna say, yeah, literature mag. Um, mm-hmm. so within it's interesting. You had no, cause you're, you know, you're doing that. Um, you're doing musicals, mm-hmm. you're doing lit mag, but you yeah. no real, um, <laughs> I mean, did you have any type of guidance from a guidance counselor, your parents to give you any type of like a, I don't know, a drop of breadcrumb to follow a path? You know, I didn't know anything. Did your parents go to college? Yes. So, well, my mom went to college, she went to Syracuse. And then my dad, when I was like growing up, went to night school and stuff and got his degree. So he, he went to the military straight after high school. So you're just kind of like free forming it, figuring it out as you go, really. Yeah, I had no idea. So what do it you was just, what do you go into pit at? What, what's your major when you when you go into pit? I did not have a major. I think I declared like sophomore year or something like that. I was like, I like to write. I could do this, but again, I didn't put a ton of effort in. Like if I had a paper due, I'd wake up that morning and knock it out between like seven and eleven, walk to the computer lab, print it out, and then turn it into class. Like half uh, the reason why I did writing is because it was easy. Did you still get good grades? Did you get good grades yeah. on everything regardless? It sounds like you yeah. well, you said you're like kind of low effort, but good results. Well, and, and, and when I cared about stuff, I mean, I put more into it. But yes, I, I was never the type to like stay up all night and study or like really put, yeah. I Not that I was low effort because I put effort in, but I never really felt the need to try very hard, nor did I. Interesting. Yeah. Um, favorite movie? Uh, now or then? Then. So um, I was I, I prepared for these questions. So um, we were really into Kevin Smith when I was in high school. Yeah, sure. So like Dogma and Mallrats were like the top two. And like then Chasing Amy and Clerks were like a lot less. But probably okay. I watched Mallrats God knows how many times. And then I felt like Mallrats, uh, Empire Records, and Days and Confused are all kind of all the same trilogy because they shared a lot of actors, or at least the actors were siblings. So we watched a lot of that stuff. Now I couldn't tell you what my favorite movie is. I have I no idea. Yeah, I don't have favorite movies now. It really stopped uh, back then. Because, you know, I don't rewatch movies very often yeah. anymore now. And I barely ever, I mean, even before the pandemic, I never really went to the movies. And I fall asleep now. Like, we put a movie on. And, like, we. I made my husband watch, like, all the, well, not all, but up to WandaVision, like, the Avengers movies mm-hmm. during the pandemic. And I stayed awake for most of them. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's uh, it's not that they put me to sleep the wine put me to sleep 
Well, it's interesting that the arts don't really expand for you into like movies still today. You're talking about like how you miss theater and all that, but like yeah. the movies never really struck you in that way. No, that was never like my thing. No, it's always unless they're singing involved. I could tell you a couple like movie musicals that I think are great. You're big La La fan. No, big La La I, Land fan? I saw that once in the theaters and it was not my thing. But um, if, if you haven't seen Tick, Tick, Boom on Netflix. That Girlfriend's really killing me about that. Killing me about that, it. I saw Tick, Tick, Boom in high school. Um, I saw an off-Broadway production starring Joey McIntyre. Somewhere out there, Ooh. there is a terrible picture of me with bad skin looking a little chonky with Joey McIntyre's arm around me. That's when he was uh, That's when he was back out again. Yeah. Yeah. And he went with his uh his soul blue is so blue that's where my <laughs> eyes were that's what I am today. I'm trying to remember the name of the song. I have no idea. If I had it all to do all over again, then I never say. You want me to try shazamming you Can't while you sing you it? Without you, I didn't try. You couldn't wait. I love you. Came too late. There you go. <laughs> Glad so we got there. Happy yeah, to be on this huge. journey with you. Yeah, sorry. I had to get that out of my head or else it was going to. And then I was and I knew you wouldn't care like in three hours from now, but I was going to be like, I would have to hit you. I'd be like, I love you came too late. I know what it is now. <laughs> uh, favorite song? Um, So again, artist, song, art, artist, album, song, any of that. So actually, it was around around high school that I started getting really into Guster. I loved Guster. Guster. Guster was like a three-piece, now they're a four-piece act out of Massachusetts, like Boston area. Um, back then, like their one-ish hit was called Barrel of a Gun. And Steph, someone had made Steph and Mixie that had that on there, that or like Center of Attention. And they were kind of like an indie band. Like they had like two guys with guitars and a guy who played bongos. And then they got bigger and they got bigger. Their last couple albums have gotten a little too, I guess, jazzy-ish. I don't know. I haven't really been into them much, but love Guster. Um, and Dispatch, I got really into. Um, it's all kind of like hippie jam band music, frankly. Okay. Not so much the fish stuff, but you know, some of that. Uh, did you go to like concerts and, and stuff like as a? I didn't start going to concerts till I was in college, like all through high school, whatever. Like my first concerts, and you'll again at the Valley Forge Music Fair, I saw the Four Tops of the Temptations. Nice. So I was like, I was raised on Motown. So like that was kind of my first sort of Motown and the Beach Boys. So that was my first concert. And then in college, I think I saw Jason Raz a couple times. I saw Toad the Wet Sprocket, which was a random thing to do. Um, yeah. So see, Dreamgirls was meant for you. That was like... Apparently, yes, yes. And my dad loved me in Dreamgirls. Like, I think he thinks that, well, he thought I, I peaked in seventh grade. I don't think I ever was able to beat Dreamgirls in his eyes. Uh, yeah, I never did either. Um, <laughs> you know, once you rip the pants off, that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember so little of dream girls. I remember Zal. I remember like, was it Steph? No. Yep. Uh, and it just, it was not a good experience. Uh, because you blew your voice out. Well, just, it was, I think it, it was chaotic. There was just like a lot going on, like a lot of people who couldn't really sing. It was hard. Yeah. It was also like, adult subject matter like i'm pretty sure my character got kicked out of the dream girls because she got knocked up like but we couldn't say that no of course right not. we couldn't say that you were pregnant it was just like you you, you just fat. had an attitude and yeah <laughs> right yeah you're not a star and yeah, yeah um and yeah the, and there was like a lot of racial undertone of like the white artist 
the, the, the pop artist will say yeah but, but yeah. then everyone in the group is white except for yeah. Ashley chapman yep and... <laughs> yep uh yeah those days were hard i i don't know if it started then but i remember getting a lot of anxiety for theater like after that uh and probably why i enjoyed doing like tv lab and, and yeah. film and stuff like that afterwards because it's behind the camera it's like okay you do a lot of the work but then you don't have to go out there and face everybody yeah, see, I'm kind of the opposite. Like the stage is like the one place that I never feel anxiety because I feel like I belong there. And, you know, it's it's weird. Like the older I get, the less I like to be the center of attention. But if I'm performing, it's everybody is specifically there to see me do a thing. It's like it's earned and I'm good at this. And I'm like, I am here to to do a thing and I'm supposed to be here. Whereas like, yeah, I guess like other things give me anxiety, but once I have a role, like auditions give me anxiety, but once I've been cast and like, I've been rehearsing, I'm like, I can do this in my sleep. This is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Then you go to, you go to Pitt and mm -hmm. you don't declare, what are you spending your freshman year? You know, do, are you just living the life? Are you, he, are you recognizing that kids, are, are you realizing that kids actually party now? Is this? Yeah, like yeah. I mean, my, my next door neighbor, freshman year her uh, boyfriend was a dealer uh, my my roommate her boyfriend would come in from out of town and they'd sexile me at least once a month and I you know I lived it up I you know I wasn't like too crazy like I would been super sheltered and like went insane like on room spring or anything like that but you know I had a good time I figured things out and I was frankly I lived the acapella lifestyle which <laughs> <laughs> it's like a lot of partying, a lot of hanging out with like other acapella groups. You know, those acapella kids get down. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because like, the first time I saw Pitch Perfect, I was like, "This movie's not going to get it." And they had like a big after party where everyone like drunk and hooking up. I was like, "Oh yeah, I guess they kind of got the acapella <laughs> lifestyle." Um, I don't know when it was. Was it was it during college? I feel like you know you mentioned like your struggles with with your weight. Mm -hmm. I remember like very clearly like you you know like just getting in great shape and, and like, yeah, I remember like you went oh, to like, like pictures on Facebook or real life. Yeah. I th no, I, th I think in, I think in, yeah. On Facebook, like shortly after I was, I feel like it happened when I was in college and you were maybe in college too. I don't know, but like, I just feel like, like you went through like a, a bit of a transformation. I mean, I don't know school. about that. Cause there was, there was a time like, cause I put on the freshman 15 and it's like, I was like, it's not beer, it's carbs. It's like, we had, I would have like these 12 inch subs and there were fries and chicken fingers everywhere. And so I put on some weight and then to lose that weight, like I got up to my highest and I still haven't been heavier than that. And there were like times that I just wouldn't eat in college. And I started running, which is, I mean, not great, but I mean, I wouldn't last that long. I'd go a couple of days and be like, all I ate was the rice cake today. And I was like proud of myself. And I'm like, that's fucked up. So I ended up losing the weight I gained probably not in the healthiest ways, but I started taking more exercise classes. I started getting more fit. At some point during college, I declared what I call the too hungover to eat diet, where I would just drink <laughs> and then go for a run the next day and then like have normal dinner and stuff like that. So it wasn't always the healthiest relationship with my body. But college is when I started working out more. So like I go to the gym pretty regularly. I taught myself how to not hate running. And so I got fit and I, and overall, and still now it's like this focus, it's more important to be fit. I'm never going to be tiny, but as long as I look like the person who gets picked second for the sports team, um, I'm happy. Second. 
Well, yeah. So I played a lot of like co-ed sports um, after college. Like when I got down here, that's just how I met people. So mm-hmm. once people found out I was coordinated, I started getting like pulled on to all different teams. So I played kickball, which is dumb, um, softball, dodgeball, and football. I think that's about it. And played on a couple different leagues around the city down here. Yeah. So I, I stayed fit enough that like when you're picking girls, I'm probably not the number one option because the number one option is like a size four and can still run like an eight minute mile. But number two over here, like I can sprint down a field and I can catch things. So that's good stuff. Um, when you picked English, did things mm-hmm. start clicking for you in, in any way? Or was it just like I'm taking classes and going to finish out these next three years? I mean, I enjoyed writing. I really enjoyed some of my like English reading classes. Like I, again, love to, it's like almost like being at a book club. Like we'd read a book and then we'd talk <laughs> about what does this mean? And like, I love those. And I loved the writing the papers and sitting in workshops and like everybody exchanging papers and just sort of breaking down the work and, and making it better. So I really enjoyed that. I didn't necessarily know how to pivot that professionally, although that is kind of how I entered the real work world. Um, one summer I got an internship at a local business newspaper and I just brought in an intern every summer to write their section on like they did a highlight of local rotary clubs. So I did that. And while I was there, they found out I was good on the phone. So the next summer they brought me back to do the rotary club thing again and their sales manager happened to be going out on maternity leave. So they had me do some sales calls. And then I eventually got into an advertising sales position that way. But most of what I do, even yeah. now, like every job that I've had, and they've been different and also the same, the backbone is, you know, email communication, being persuasive, getting people to answer your emails, to either be clear in the information or be enticing about the information. So at the end of the day, the English degree just helped me codify my style and tighten things up and just... I write every single day. So it, it worked. It worked out. Came in. Okay. We'll say that you you found a job in your field then. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, that's, yeah. I was going to go on, but you go on. Let you well, do the talking. <laughs> no, I was just, I was just going to ask them what, what can you say about, you know, what you fell into here? Yes. So um, the, I was the tease about the, the government approval. I did not need government approval to have this conversation. Shh, come on, make it sound uh, good. But I did talk to my security officer just to get some brush up on what I can and cannot say. Uh, So I am a recruiter for a government contractor, and I lead a team that focuses on the Department of Defense. So um, I've never held the clearance. I will never hold the clearance. I don't have access to classified information. But I do like to say that I have no idea what the people I hire work on. Okay. When you... uh when you go into a field of something that there is no job mm-hmm. there, or there's no, there are no, um, there are no like classes for working in an office for mm-hmm. emailing for, um, you know, a non, you know, it's, it's teaching it's, it's, they're yeah. all very specific things. Um, and you're, you're a theater kid. Mm-hmm. I always feel, you know, and you, you talked about, you know, the emotions of, of theater kids, how do you rein yourself in, especially when you didn't ha- even have like that type of a focus in high school? How do you rein yourself in to kind of work a normal job? You know, I really think what I do and a lot of what I've done in the past does really draw on that theater kid energy. Because every time I pick up the phone, no matter what kind of day I'm having, it's like, put on a smile <laughs> and I am performing. You know, I am, my company is great and I think you're great. And it's it's almost some of that improv of where I, I have to pivot and whoever they tell me, I have to give them information about it and really adapt to the conversation. So in some ways, 
every phone call is a performance. And so obviously I'm not trying to make anybody cry, but I'm trying to be likable. I'm trying to get people to connect with me. I'm trying to draw them in, keep their attention. And, and I think there's a lot of theater in anything that has a sales background, really. Did you ever think about going like strictly into, into sales, like long-term or? No, I mean, it's, it's a tough, I mean, not that what I do isn't tough, um, but it's just the, I don't love the, the approach of like, I'm trying to get you to buy something you don't need, you right. know? And, and my job is sales adjacent and actually in between like the advertising sales and what I do now, I did patent licensing, which is a whole nother thing, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. I traveled internationally working on video compression technology patent portfolios. Um, well, that's really interesting. I know. But all of that at the same time, it got me to recruiting where I am selling something that people want, a new job. And I'm trying to convince them, you know, we might not offer you the best money. We may have the same project as a number of other people, but like you will be home with us. Mm. And, and my job is really to, to make people feel comfortable. Changing a job is a major, major step in your life. And you make a bad decision you screw yourself over. And so my job is to make people feel comfortable and confident in their decision. And there's just something really nice about that. You don't really learn it. You just kind of pick it up through the years. I've been recruiting for like six plus years now. So it's just, you, you kind of just get there and you get your rhythm. And as soon as you know your stuff, you can be successful. I can't even remember the question you originally asked me. Sorry. No, no, that was it. You just, yeah, because I find that like, I don't know, I kind of sometimes feel like, um, taking like the normal office job or when I'm in an, you know, working in an office sometimes, yeah, I can be quirky. So, yeah. you know, That's it's kind of embraced where I am. Like, you know, we, it's, it's a lot of really smart people who have all sorts of diverse backgrounds and just like, they really care about what they do, but they're people. Like I enjoy the people I work with. And I think that makes my company a little different and no shade on some of the other companies I've worked with before, but like one of my colleagues ended up being a bridesmaid for me. It's like, she's a real friend, not just a work friend. And I've got someone who I work with. And I'm like, if you ever leave, I'm going with you. Like, mm -hmm. I love the people I work with. I respect them. And, you know, we are working towards this bigger picture, uh, you know, supporting the country and this patriotic mission and all this stuff. It's kind of, you know, it's almost the same thing about being in a theater production. There's so many pieces that work together to get you to that final product. And that final product can be amazing. So we, I think won't blow your voice out on this. No. Well, I do do a lot of talking. <laughs> we have one guy that I work with um, and he just really just wants to go to karaoke. He talks about karaoke all the time. They jokingly call him like the karaoke colonel. And I might just blow my voice out one of those nights. There you go. You know, all I do is sing in my car these days. Not as, not as practiced. Uh, I remember messaging you a few years back to tell you when I had heard that all about that bass, no treble, uh, Megan <laughs> trainer, I yeah. instantly had flashbacks to just your voice tone. You're just, really? you're, yeah. And I, I, I don't know if you remember. I, I love that bass, that, that bass. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, I was like, she stole Amanda Christian's whole style. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. I'll take the money too. Maybe I should, uh, <laughs> maybe I should have done more with music. Although she can really write, like she's produced a lot of music, right? I, I don't know. People. I, I don't know enough about her. I know that I know that song. I know that there was another song, but I, I don't know what it is. I don't know her as well as I know Joey McIntyre. No. <laughs> I mean, I've always had a little bit of an issue actually with that song. I think it's that one where she tells about you other skinny bitches, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, as someone who struggled with body image, like it's on both ends of the spectrum. Like it doesn't help bigger girls to hate on skinny girls because skinny girls probably hate themselves too. That's a good so for point. whatever reason, I've always just like really held it against that song because she makes that call out to skinny bitches. So 
Yeah. In later life, I've, you know, I've, I've known people who've shared experiences of their exact same struggles, the opposite way of trying to gain weight, you know, for health Um, or for look reasons, you know, it goes both ways. My husband is 140 pounds soaking wet. Um, and he would love to gain weight. He's adorable. I love him. But I mean, he got picked on at school for being small and you know, it's, 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 everybody gets made fun of for something. And if there's, if there's anything I have learned from your podcast is everybody's got their own issues and their self-hatred and stuff. And um, if you just took a step back and like, you really weren't that bad, like you're way too hard on yourself back in the day and other people sucked. And that's kind yes. of the, the moral of the story from uh, the great narrative of your podcast. Thank you. <laughs> what's uh, what's your husband's name? Where'd you meet him? You said he was the first, the first real boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, technically, let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, his name is Scott. We met on Bumble. And I do like telling this story because for anyone who knows the setup of Bumble, it's like the the girl makes the first move. Right. But I kind of also didn't love that. Like, it always seemed like I was on Bumble and I was on Tinder. And it seemed like the caliber of guys was better on Bumble. But I still wanted the guy to make the first move. So in actuality, my husband messaged me. And we had one decent conversation. And or I messaged him, I guess, first. And then I did not hear from him. And then a year later, out of nowhere, he just messaged me again. And we started co- talking after that. And I was like, I was like, he's like, how you been? I'm like, oh, it's been a good 364 days. How are you? Yeah, what the heck? So, and the way it worked, it probably worked out for the best. Cause if we hadn't dated back then, we never would have gotten together. Cause I was still like, I would say I probably found my self-confidence and started to really appreciate myself and stand up for myself about a month before I met my husband. Get out. And he was fresh out of a very bad relationship that was like real bad. Um, ended very, it was toxic. It ended very poorly. I think he had some the issues relating to that. So fortunately, flash forward a year, we were both ready to be in a real healthy, good relationship. And, you know, we stopped, we broke up once for a couple of months, but We've been together for a while. So it's, it's been just about five years since we started dating and we'll be a year married in July. Um, you mentioned, did you, you mentioned your dating history, like in high school, mm-hmm. just not really being there and, and not knowing anything about parties. Did you, when you were younger, did you have a vision for what you wanted? Like, as far as like marriage, family, anything like that? No, I wanted a family and I can tell you my husband is the exact opposite of anything I ever thought I'd find myself with as a man. Um, The best example I can give is that he buys camo cargo shorts secondhand on eBay. He loves his tractor. His favorite day of the week is Friday when he gets to mow the lawn. He drinks natural lights by the dozen. You know, now that you mention it, I've been for the last like four minutes or so, I've been thinking back to like, I remember a conversation I had with you on AIM where I feel like, yeah, where I feel like you like did detail, like, like the type of like guy that you like as far as like, like preppy kind of. Rugby players. I had a real long history with rugby players when oh, I was really? in college and whatnot. Like, oh, I love those ruggers. Little, little bit of thick boys uh, who were real athletic could, could toss a few back. They were, but you weren't like men. a, you weren't like a like a button up khaki khaki lover. I mean, I may have been in high school. I, I honestly, in high school, I liked any boy who like looked at me twice. It's it's, it's sure. like embarrassing to look back at like the crushes I had and like Amanda. He was just being nice to you because he was your friend and like, not that there was anything that was unappealing about them. But the only thing I liked about these guys is that they were nice to me. Got and it was like, it was embarrassing. So I think at that time, probably, yeah, because the people I hung out with were kind of preppy dudes. Sure. 
but it wasn't necessarily a type. Yeah. Through college okay. and post-college, like I had Rough quite guys. a few rugby men in my life. Miss, yeah. Missing teeth, reconstructed no, knee they surgeries. All had their teeth. Their noses may have been a little bit off. Yeah. And everybody has knee problems at this point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he's, so he's not the type because he's not that he's not the athletic. He's 140 pounds. So well, no, out. actually uh, I brought him out to play softball with the when I used to, I guess I finished playing softball a couple of years back, but like I, I fell in love. Well, no, but I saw him make, he, he threw someone out from the outfield and I was like, this is my man. So he, he, he ran track. He plays uh, baseball. He actually spent most of his high school on the golf team. Okay. Um, so he, he, and he's active. He loves being outside too, but he's not going to like go to the gym or lift anything. He'd love to gain weight. He's actually um, allergic to dairy. So if he has milk, butter, cheese, any of that, like he will, his throat will close up. He needs either Benadryl or like an EpiPen. So like, yeah, when you're not eating butter or cheese, yeah, of course you're not going to gain any weight, but he needs a lot of wings. (laughs) Everything has to have a side of rice or a side of pasta. So he eats like a a child, but that's okay. Yeah. He's, he's a great guy. Um, what's your, I mean, were kids, did you ever want kids? Was that like a a thing that you wanted? Is that still still something you're looking for? When he and I actually broke up, we broke up over the question of kids because he didn't think he wanted them. I definitely wanted them. And I think what it ended up being is our relationship was not in a good place where he could imagine himself having a future and a family with kids and all that. So we are currently in the process of trying. Um, It's very stressful to try to start a family at 38. Yes, thank you. Cross everything you can. Um, You know, I... I feel like the choices I've made in my life to get me to this point are the right ones for me. Like I probably could have gotten married earlier. I kind of dated earlier, but like, I just wasn't into those guys. And I, if I, if my goal was marriage, I could have gotten married a lot younger, but my goal was to meet the right person, the person I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. So I didn't get married until I was 37. And then we went on our mini moon where we got COVID. Thanks guys on the boardwalk in ocean city, Maryland, we think. But then we planned a real honeymoon for December. We went to St. Croix for a week. It was an amazing trip. And then it was like, all right, let's go. So it's, it's tough. And it's like, am I, it was like, I all into it. I was like, I'm not too old. I believe I'll be okay. I'm not worried. And I had certain people like my sister-in-law being like, you better hurry up. You know, you're getting old. And I'm like, no. And, but now that I'm in the thick of it, it's really stressful because a lot of doubts creep in. That's like, what am I doing wrong? I mean, it hasn't been that long. It really, you know, a lot of people try for a long time before for things, you know, work out in their favor, but it's stressful as hell. Yeah. It's not fun. Um, well, good. Well, good luck to you. I don't know Thank if that's what, is that what you say for sure. <laughs> sure. Overall. I mean, I, I mean, I'll take any good juju than I can. I mean, I don't want to say if it happens, it happens, but I mean, I hope it happens, but yeah. we'll, we'll just have to see. I have to take it one month at a time. Um, when you say your brother's in Pittsburgh now. Mm-hmm. So he's married, got a wonderful wife. I jokingly say I like her more than him. Uh, no, she's, he's, he's got, he's got good. They've got a good house. They love their dog. They're dinks. So they're not having any grandkids. So the grandkid pressure is all on me too. Um, but yeah, they're, yeah, they, they live a good life out there. He plays still plays a lot of ultimate Frisbee. Um, that was his big thing in high school. He, he stopped playing baseball and got really into ultimate and would go to like nationals and stuff with the ultimate team. He played ultimate all through college. And even now he still plays ultimate pretty regularly. He got himself onto the Australian national team for ultimate. So he's like going to worlds, I think next month in Ireland. 
to compete for that. He's got friends on the team in Hong Kong. So like once or twice, he's just picked up and gone off to like China to play Frisbee. I know. So yeah, he's, he lives a pretty interesting life. I think he, he's very bored at work, but he does that. I think he does. I think it's jujitsu is his, is martial art of choice. I want to get into some, some jujitsu. Yeah, he's still that, got right? like zero percent body fat and is like super fit and like super. Ha. <laughs> ha. Yeah. <laughs> um, in your preparation, was there anything detail wise that like you wanted to you were hoping to get into that you wanted to talk about that? Uh... Well, I thought I thought because, you know, I don't think you've spoken to many people from O2 except for what Hank, right? Yeah. So like we were seniors during 9-11 and I figured that was probably Jeez, a good thing to talk about. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot. So that was your your like first, like second week of of high school. Something right? like that, yeah. Year. Yeah. And it's one of those, like I know exactly where I was on that day. Like I was sitting next to Bree Dara and AP Bio. I had Ryan Everwine and Robbie. I couldn't remember his name if I could think about it in front of me. And Mrs. McDonough comes running in and she says something along the lines of like a plane just hit the Twin Towers, like her sister worked there. So she had that like info before anybody else. And then we're just like, first we're like, cool, no, ba-. like it was like lab day. And I was like, sweet, no bio. And then just like the gravity of the day kind of built in. I think we went across the hall where someone had a TV and like saw the second plane hit the second tower and all that stuff. And I just remember, again, being in study hall and Allie running up to me that her uncle Mike was in New York that day. He was fine. He was nowhere near it. I think Mrs. McDonough's sister was fine too, or whatever. She was running late that day, but obviously it was very emotionally traumatic uh, just in life. But yeah, I mean, the school kind of came to a standstill that day. Um, and I, we have a whole section in our yearbook about 9 11. Oh, wow. Yeah. I remember um, when it happened, you know, I, I was at Monco and our class got canceled. It was my freshman mm-hmm. year and our class got canceled. It was in a media class. She says, go home and watch the news. So I drove by Wizzahickon, and I remember thinking at the time, like there was a lot of uncertainty, not knowing if this, you know, how big this attack was. Was there any like fear of, fuck, I want to get out of school? Like, I don't I wanna... love that. I mean, I, I I would imagine they let us out early that something had to have happened. And I, I can't remember the details. I mean, obviously there was a plane in Pennsylvania, which was scary. And the, we weren't that far from New York. Like plenty of people had family, friends, like whatever in New York. So I think it was a lot of just like figuring out what was what and what was going on. It was just, it was chaotic. And then, like I said, I remember I flew a couple of weeks later and like there was nobody on the plane, excuse me. And they were all like, thank you for flying with us and for trusting us and all this stuff. But it was, I mean, it hit us. And at the same time, it didn't because we were still like teenagers. So it's still like that dramatic shift, like nothing is the same and all of that. But the gravity of it, I don't think we were aware of it because we weren't fully formed adults yet. So I've only got my yearbook. Okay. I don't have your year. So I'm curious. Yeah, I'm curious at, at your senior picture for your yearbook. But when you say that you that I signed your yearbook, I guess for junior year, does that yep. mean that you signed mine? I must. So I will read you what you wrote to me, if you can find it. You wrote in gold pen because everybody had those like those liquid fun whatever pens. Like all of these are signed in 17 different colors. But you wrote, Amanda. You're my dream girl. Ooh, yeah. Make me happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have a safe, uh, fun summer and blast of a senior year. I want to see you as a lead in the musical next spring. Brad Corbett. Wow. I was going to say, you know, when you were telling that, you know, kind of like that story, I remember, and again, my connection to you. And so I obviously thought very highly of you 
um, especially in musicals. But I remember feeling like almost like, you know, like we were on a bat, we were on a sports team and then, and then I get traded to another team. And then it's like, (laughs) Hey, you know, we have this opportunity to trade for, for Amanda. And then you get traded to the team and it's like, you're not starting. And I'm going, Hey, you know, I played with Amanda in in Minnesota. Uh, she's pretty good. You know, uh, we should, we should put her in. So I was always rooting for, for you to excel and, and get the pick. It's funny. I've forgotten like so much about high school and like literally like looking through this, it was like almost every single quote in here was about like, you're singing. And like half of them were my friends being like, you were so annoying with all of your singing. Just kidding. You're good. And I'm like, thanks. But I actually like as much as I feel like, not that I was invisible, but like didn't have a place. I won most musical for senior superlative my senior year too. So I'm really? like, apparently everybody knew. Somebody had to vote for me. Yeah, it was yeah. me and Adam. Yeah. I do remember record, at some point really. people being like, but you didn't play any instruments. So I was like, this is my instrument. So you were known for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we also did like um, my senior project. I like put on like a talent, show, like a cabaret. Okay. So like I was people singing and then like I sung a couple of things in our like senior class show, which had a lot more of the broader, I think, populist participation than say the musicals. But I mean, I think everybody just knew me as the singing chick. That's so interesting that you just that you never pursued after that. Well, and I had a couple people like I think Mr. Hood said something to me about like, I can't believe you're not studying this like in school. And the guy who was uh, this, this broke my heart. The guy who was like the acting director for musicals, he came up to me and said something along the lines of, like, I didn't realize you were a senior. Oh, it would have been so great to do something like Annie, get your gun next year. And I'm just like, eh, eh, eh. And like a lot of people in like the musical infrastructure didn't realize that I was graduating. Mm. And I was like, well, yeah, that would have been fun. Thanks. Would have loved it. Thanks. But, you know, things worked out the way they did. Yeah. Uh, especially since you didn't, you, there wasn't, you know, that you weren't even like looking past high school for anything like that, you know? I mean, I would have if I could have, but I don't think I would have been successful. I mean, there's a lot of really talented people out there. You even think of like a and like I look at like a Sarah Priebus. I think she's still in New York trying to do stuff. And I think she's had a couple commercials and she was a really good singer, okay. but I don't know if it ever went anywhere. Um, so, I mean, it would have been a tough life. Yeah. And instead I have a cushy, great life. I mean, I, I'd like to say no regrets. And yeah. sometimes my attitude for things is like, you just make the decisions and the things that happen, the right things. Like, you just don't need to look back like this is where it got me to where I am. I'm happy where I am. So I'm happy with that decision. Not me, Amanda. I like to do a podcast and, and <laughs> dwell on it for a while. Well, you know, if you had spoken to me like, you know, a decade ago or like, you know, five, six years ago, I think I would have had a very different perspective somewhere along the lines. I just things kind of clicked and I'm like, I like my life. I like myself. Yeah. Things are OK, but it took a lot of my life to get there. Mm. So I don't know. I don't know quite what did it except for that dude I was dating right before I met my husband. I was like, I'm not putting up with this shit. Oh, I'm not putting up with this shit. (laughs) And then all of a sudden I was like, okay, that's right. I deserve more. That's right. And then sort of from there, things kind of just smoothed out. It's like your uh, waiting to exhale moment. I guess. Well, it sounds like from what I've heard, like you're in a comfortable, happy, solid relationship now with someone trying to bring you back to the dark side for theater. I mean, it helps. I, I hate to say it, but having someone externally validate you helps. I mean, just that you feel you feel good being in a relationship. You like being all booed up. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's um, probably listening. So I guess you can't say no. 
I know. I'm trying to think of like I got to say it the right way, or else I could. <laughs> uh, no, it's um, it's it's different. I'll tell you, it's difficult to let your guard down when you're so used to not having that. Uh, yes. So it's really easy to go about at times, kind of forgetting or having that like that kind of feeling of like that's oh, just me, or you know, um, because it's all my relationships are always like so brief. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's like a, it's a comforting feeling at first you kind of forget and then you go, Oh wait, no, I have someone. Uh, okay. Yeah. You know, and, and, and you don't want to burden them and then they don't want to let them in. And it's just like the number one thing my husband said to me, or at least while things were like, we we're progressing and we we're is like, you got to talk to me. You got to talk to me. I am here. We are in this together. You got to talk to me. And I'd be like, but I don't have the words. I don't know. And like, you just kind of got to let go and be like, this person's going to love me no matter what. And you have to get to that point. And that's, that's not easy to get to, to like well, be your real self with someone. Yeah. And you know, I always, I always think I'm like being authentic and I think I'm, I just kind of ride my emotions generally, but I've discovered how hard it is to realize when you're just living your emotions to that. You can't just live your emotions. Sometimes you have to explain why you feel a certain way or why, right. It's just like, well, this is how I feel. And like, I, you kind of forget like, Oh, if I don't explain this, like it could put someone off and you know, we have, we have bad days at times. And it's like, sometimes you can't just act in those feelings when you're just hanging by yourself or you just see someone maybe like once or twice a week or something like whatever. And, and you can have those bad days on Thursdays, but you know, that's the been that's been like like probably the hardest thing of like as my emotion as I go through emotions to have to explain that to someone so that they understand just more about me, you know? Yeah. Well, and like I think there's also the mental of like you don't have to have been wrong, like you don't have to have done something wrong to negatively affect me. Like so like if Scott would say something or do something that hurt my feelings, it's not necessarily that he was wrong. But what he did like affected me in a certain way. And I'm like, you're not the bad guy. I'm not like pointing my fingers at you. This isn't like you versus me. But when you said that, like you weren't thinking and it made me feel this way or like this was just you following what you wanted. But that reflected upon me in that way. And it's hard to like try not to be too selfless or too selfish and just sort of navigate. Nobody's wrong, but, you know, people can still get hurt and kind of like you have to take down the defensiveness of being like, I didn't do anything like, no, I, you didn't do it. Like, you know, but you know, this is what it made me feel. And that's, that was sake. I know you said you kind of had that awakening. Did you ever, do you ever get imposter syndrome? Oh my God. In a yeah. relationship as if I don't actually know what I'm talking about because I don't have, I don't have that a history of like learning those things through relationships or like, I kind of feel like, Oh, I feel this way. And I think it should be like this, but that might not actually be a good idea for a relationship. And I might not know what I'm talking about. So I don't get imposter syndrome through relationships, at least not at this point, because Scott and I have been together for five years and now we're married and like whatever, I figured it out a couple of years ago, but I do get it at work a lot. Like I have a job that is highly visible. I am very well paid. I run a team and every once in a while, I'm like, they're going to figure out I'm not good at this. But one of the, one of the recruiters on my team, she was part of this panel and she actually, and it did, they're, they're the woman's group at my office or my company. 
And they brought in a couple of different speakers and she brought in a, a professor of hers and they'd spoke at length about imposter syndrome. And what that professor basically said was, when you feel like you have imposter syndrome for like winning an award or getting a promotion, what you are saying is that the person who gave you the award or the person who gave you the promotion, you're calling them stupid. You are doubting their judgment and their, their thought process and their integrity. When you're questioning like, did I deserve this? you are questioning the integrity of the person who gave it to you. Like, are you really that good that you've tricked them? Or like, no, they're not stupid. If they think they see this in you, then it's probably there and you should stop doubting yourself. And that's something that's really resonated with me. Like, I don't see a lot of men with imposter syndrome, but I think I see in your face, it's resonating a little bit. You just but made I mean, me feel so good about myself. Yeah, I mean, when it's really when people are elevating you, trust it because you trust them. You know, you're not running some long con being like, I'm going to sneak in to be successful at work. It's, yeah. you know, and people, people pay attention, people notice things. So if they're elevating you, if they're promoting you, if they're moving you forward, you probably deserve it. You've you probably earned so it. Good. <laughs> good. The theater kid in me, I always feel like I'm still auditioning for everything that I do. Yeah. And I'm still in, you know, I'm in video and all that. So it, yeah. every time I'm doing like a new project, I'm like, hope they like this one, you know, it's and and, and you saying that it's like, Oh, yeah, like, I, I keep doing work. And they keep, yeah, you know, you keep getting called for more jobs. It's like, oh, I guess they do like my work. But I'm always looking at man, I missed that edit, or I I, I could have done that better. I could have shot that, you know, I, and now yeah. it's and now we say that it's insulting. It's almost like, Oh, yeah, they're consistently using me like they like my stuff. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. if they're, if they're making the wrong decision by picking you, right. like you're calling, you know, you're, you're calling them out. So, right. yeah. So I, I like, I like to think back to that, but yeah, I found great amount of comfort and that resonated with me. It's just trust the people who trust in you. Uh, thank you for that. Yeah. Glad. I feel like I said, that may be the first thing of substance. I feel like I've said. In this <laughs> conversation. Oh. Um, can you give me your your in, your uh, entry in the yearbook? I couldn't find you in my yearbook for a signature. Oh, I have no idea what yeah, I, I couldn't find you. But could you tell me, like, for your senior yearbook? Do you oh, have would yours you, for you your... read my quote? Which yeah. is yeah. <sighs> okay, so this is again. I didn't realize just how much of a theater nerd I was. I, I just looking back on it, I was like, oh my god, seriously? Let's see if I can find this. Um... You quoted a show. I quoted the Muppet movie. <laughs> I'm like trying to find where the senior portraits are. Here they are. Okay. <clears throat> Here I am. Ready? Yeah. I've got a dream too. It's about singing and dancing and making people happy. That's the kind of dream that gets better the more people you share it with. I found a bunch of friends who share that dream. It kind of makes us like a family. And that's from Kermit the Frog. Wow. So that's interesting because feeling that you know saying that and i know it's a quote but to take that and then like you kind of felt like you didn't you didn't really take a lot of those relationships with you afterwards yeah i guess that's true it's interesting well, a big part of it too i mean i moved so sure. I, I moved when i was when i was 19 my dad's company transferred him down to maryland and they basically said you can come down here with us and live for free or you can you know stay in philly and so at that point i mean i think the first summer after i graduated or like the the first year back I still saw some of my friends, but, you know, we were already starting to dissipate a little bit and then, you know, I moved. So mm -hmm. you really have to put a lot of effort in to keep in touch with people when you move. And, you know, I was kind of a different person in college. I was partying and I was you know, doing other stuff and like just 
becoming a different version of myself. And then the move itself allowed me to just have a clean slate and just be whoever I was. And part of me not liking myself back in high school, I got to just leave it all behind. So I don't know. Makes sense. No, no, no. It's just, you know, it was just interesting how that, I know, how I know. specific it was. Well, and it's funny because I look back and I read the things that people wrote to me and I'm like, people were so nice. And like, did I have these really deep friendships? And I guess I did. And there were a couple of people I kept in touch with for a little, but now we're talking about like, I guess this would be 20 years later. Like, yes, a lot I, happens in 20 years. The idea of it's a little warped because we're doing this podcast. And so we're yeah. talking about it specifically. So it's almost like the expectation should be that you're still connected in some way. But, but the reality is it's been a long time. To be fair though, like Scott, like he's friend, like his best friend group, he's known them since they were like eight. Like really? almost all the groomsmen at our wedding Minus my brother, we're either friends from elementary, middle, or high school. And like his group of friends has been tight and there is a huge chunk of them. And they went on big group trips together and they have all this shared history. And mm -hmm. like, you know, I made our wedding website and his friend Evan was like a picture of the two of them in like second grade playing soccer together. So it definitely happens. And I see it maybe not so much on Facebook because people don't do Facebook much anymore. I don't do Facebook much anymore, but it seemed like there were some groups. It was a hick that stuck together, sure. but most of the people that I spent time with all just scattered to the corners of the country, basically. So and my everyday friend groups consist of college and, yeah. and old work friends. Yeah. Like, like the best of work friends, you know, that's well, where my, that's my circle kind of consists of now. I think there's people who grow together and there's people who grow apart. Like, you know, you hit a certain point in your life and you either split this way or you, you stay on the same path together. And I'm such a different person than I was in high school. And I joke with Scott, I was like, I don't think he would have liked me back in high school. I was like, I was really annoying and lame. <laughs> like, I don't know. So we'll see. I mean, who knows? I, I reached out to a couple of people in advance of this being like, is it okay if I drop your name? Is it okay if I do this? And like, that was the first time I'd talked to that person in like probably, you know, 20, 20 years or maybe, maybe 15, but you know. See, one of the things that, that does is, is common with the podcast is that I always often hear is like the reach out when mm -hmm. it always sparks the reach out. And I think that people underestimate at times the connection that they had not yeah. saying that'll be the case or that that or that's what you're doing, but I do find that people are often maybe the better way to say is that they're surprised at, you know, the at the warmth that they receive from other classmates once yeah. a, once a podcast comes out or they start talking on Facebook, which they don't which they, have, they barely use. And they go, oh, wow, that was nice. Yeah. Well, I was funny because I was thinking back to like, who did I spend time with? And I was thinking about this like on my run this afternoon. I was like, all right, what names am I going to throw out there? And I'm like thinking of these people, I was like, I don't even know if they're going to remember like that I used to go to Burger King when Michelle Mushlin's like had her, like her dad had her. And like, that was like the one time I got Burger King like ever, or like just the various, like really like specific, small, like tiny little details. And like, they resonate and they stick with you, but I'm like, they stuck with me, but they stick with anybody else. And I like, read some of these notes in my yearbook. And I was like, I must've met something to someone, mm -hmm. but I'm like, I don't remember what that was. I had someone sign my yearbook as mommy. I'm like, who the fuck was mommy? And then I went through my photo album and I saw someone I titled mommy. I was like, I have no idea what her name is. I have <laughs> no idea who that was. Well, Sorry, you know what I mommy. When I started the podcast, the whole reason of the yearbook, of course, it was in person back then. Right. But the whole reason of the yearbook was because, and I didn't, I don't know why I didn't look, but I just assumed that I didn't have any friends like outside of like my core group and nobody signed my yearbook. 
but then like you know what I mean? Like it's it's Oh, I have people complaining in my yearbook about not finding space to sign it. And I was like, why did I feel like such an outcast and that nobody liked me? I'm like, I had a shit ton of people at my graduation party. Like I was going to two, three parties a day when it hit that. Like my whole yearbook is just covered with notes. And I'm like, why did I feel so like like I really did not like myself and I felt like lonely and like I'm out of it. I was like, I had so many people who yep. thought highly of me and who were nice to me. And it's like, I, I've heard a couple of people like, if I could go back in time, if I could just tell myself, like, you are liked, you are appreciated, just have a little confidence in yourself and you'll be the you that you want to be. It's incredible how dumb we all were. Like just a little bit of confidence would have made such a difference in a lot of people's lives. I can't say that's for everyone. I got very lucky. I only got picked on once in my entire life. I do love that story though. What's that? I got picked on in the fourth grade. I think his name was Sam Smith. I don't think he made it through like middle school and high school. Singer? No, no. The singer Sam Smith picked on you in fourth grade? Yeah, no, no. This was a, this, well, I guess it was also a skinny white guy who I think had an earring. We'll put um, his name in the tag. Absolutely. Yeah. Hashtag Sam Smith. Um, but he was making fun of me for having, I think it was like a crush. On, I think it was like Nick Price. And I had a book in my hand and I just smacked him across the face with it. And I said, he started crying and had to go to the nurse. And then I had to uh, go to like the guidance counselor and have like discussions about my anger issues. My parents were like, that was very bad. And they were like celebrating me on the back end for standing up for myself. <laughs> but like nobody, nobody ever bothered me. Nobody ever picked on me. Like all of the negativity came from inside, which is just such a shame because I could have spared myself a lot of heartache if I just liked myself a little bit more. That is a lot of us. Um, well, Amanda, thank you so much. Um, I don't know. Was there anything else that you wanted to, that you wanted to go through or talk about? I don't I want to make sure I don't leave anything out from your research. Not necessarily. No, I, like I said, the research was fun. Um, no, I mean, it just, part of this does make me regret that I wasn't a better friend after school. You know, there were some really good people we went with. And like, again, reading these notes when people are just like, like literally, like I've had a lot of people like love, like, 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 you know, I hope we stay friends and I hope for this and I hope for that. And like, just none of it came through. Um, I guess I should give a couple more shout outs when I got them. And I was again reading the note, like um, I was really close with Mark Pinchotti back in the day. And like, he's like Mr. Cool now with all his like Hollywood and stuff, I guess, though he's back in Ithaca. And one thing that we were all really into, and I think this didn't hit your year, but my senior year, like we really loved Newsies. And I feel like I'd be remiss to not talk about Newsies on here. Interesting. Um, yeah. And Newsies came out and like, I saw it in the theaters. I talked my brother into going to see it with me. He's got a soft spot for Newsies. And now the actual, they give me a musical of it. It's like much better than the movie was, but like we loved Newsies back in our little, our theater group nerd people. Type. You guys just pop in the VHS after school. We tried watching it like once or twice and like Conahan like talked some shit on it, but he bought like the sheet music for it. And I think we just played that like bootleg soundtrack. And I remember there was one time and I must have kept some touch because a couple years after college, Mark is like, I found this version of Newsies on DVD. I know it's rare. I'll sell it to you for like 40 bucks. And I was like, thanks, asshole. I actually already have my own copy. <laughs> <laughs> Up to you if you want to show your uh, if you want to show your picture. I'd be curious of what you uh, what you look I, like. The picture doesn't look a ton like me. I don't think. I mean, I have a lot of forehead. It's I funny. I was thinking that about your eleventh grade picture. I was like, this is not like how I remember you. I'm almost like, is this? Well, the right? and I, I I didn't look to see my eleventh grade picture, but somebody wrote in my yearbook like nice pick, and I was like, real. I was like, I don't know. I wasn't the most photogenic, but let's see if we can, like, there we go. 
Yeah, that looks more like you. Yeah, and there's a good, and oh, the yearbook is very funny. I mean, you've got. I can't see what uh, like I see Brachio, I see Kikoris. Oh God, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Um, I feel like that's not how I remember you. It's funny no. when you when you see a person, you see them as a certain way, and then you look back at pictures, you go, "Really? Is that how they looked?" Well, it's funny because like in every, I was never, never in a yearbook, like not like my, no middle school. Like I had my my picture, but that was it. And then <clears throat> senior year, I must have had a shit ton of friends in the yearbook staff because like every other section, there's a picture of me and I filled out like the quotes and the questionnaires and like I am just all over the senior yearbook. I'm like, what the hell happened? Pinchotti like, do the yearbook? Probably. Oh, it's like yeah. Esther Kim, I think, was one of the, the main people there. I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. But yeah, I think Pinchotti may have been involved there. I'll stereotype he was involved him. in everything. Yeah, I was going to say, I'll stereotype him and feel like, and, and it feels like a Pinchotti thing. Plus- yeah. Uh, we know Kyle Spies did the did our senior year yearbook, and Mark Pinchotti yeah. was a genius. Little Kyle Spies. Spies, yeah, absolutely, yeah. That's, that's for you, Mark, till you answer my DMs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that was my conversation with Amanda Andrasini. I found it interesting how much Amanda seemingly forgot about her friendships in high school. I know I talk a lot about not feeling like I was that close to many people. And then, of course, looking at my yearbook and seeing how many people had such nice things to say. And I feel Amanda had a very similar situation in that way. We talked about how deeply involved in singing and theater Amanda was. And while I was kind of surprised that she didn't pursue it further, she almost seemed equally surprised that that's how everyone referred to her in her own yearbook. It just goes to show the disconnect that exists between what we do in high school and what's out there when we're thrust into the real world. It was pretty early on into doing this podcast. I want to say after episode one with Mike Clyburn that Amanda remembered not believing I was Jewish when we were growing up and apologized to me back in 2019. It is crazy to think how uncommon it was in the 90s, a black Jewish kid. I talked about not knowing anyone like me, but it's interesting to think that no one else knew anyone like me either. I did appreciate Amanda's apology, the one she gave me privately a few years ago and on this episode. And I want to thank Amanda for sharing so much about her own insecurities growing up. And I'm glad to hear that she has found acceptance within herself. Of course, full video of this conversation is available at youtube.com slash redshirtplaya. Like the video, subscribe to the channel, follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at We Weren't Friends in High School for updates and more. In two weeks, my guest will be class of 2000's Leanne Miller, a.k.a. Leanne Malseed. Outside of having a crush on Leanne for just a few months before she graduated and left our high school, I didn't know Leanne at all. So this will be my first time having a real conversation with her. We'll talk about her Wizzahickon days, her decision to become a blonde at a young age, and why she eventually changed back after 20 years, and where she's at now. She's moved a few times, but she's back in the PA suburbs with her family and a pretty successful hustle. So that'll be it for me. I will be back in two weeks on a Monday morning with my guest, Leanne Miller. Later.